Good morning. I'm going to give you a chance. I think I don't think you're ready for it. I'm going to give you one more chance. I need a little more than that. Good morning. Hey, that was much better. I'm Pastor Brian. It's good to be with you today at my, what I like to call my home campus, because we live right here in Riverdale, just a couple miles away. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to be here. Hello to the people online watching on our online service. The secret's out now. I guess I shouldn't have said that, that this was my home campus. I'm not saying I like it more than any other campus. I'm, I don't treat campuses like I treat my kids. I have a favorite and then the other one, but that's not what I do with the campuses, because that would be mean. Let's get into week three of our series that we've been calling Expecting Jesus. And here's, here's where we've been in this series. In week one, we talked about the unexpected family. We're in Luke chapter, we were in Luke chapter three, this unexpected family, the, the genealogy, the family line of Jesus. And what we learned in week one is that imperfect people were in the storyline, the family line, the genealogy. When Jesus ran, uh, ran his 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 data through 23andMe, or I don't know what website he used, but when he ran it through, you know, through that, has anybody done that, by the way, to find out your family and where you're from and all that kind of stuff? Well, when Jesus did that, there were all kinds of sinners in his, in his family line, which shouldn't be surprising to us because everyone's a sinner, and sinners are welcome, and Jesus came for sinners, and we learned about his family line in week one. And then in week two, just last week, we talked about this unexpected pregnancy. Maybe you learned for the first time that Mary, Mary was probably, uh, Jewish, young Jewish women would have been betrothed when they were 14 or 15 years old. So Mary was newly betrothed to Joseph. She literally was a teenage mother. And it was unexpected because the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon her and she was, she was a virgin and she, yet she was with child and we, we learned that story last week about the, about the pregnancy and this, this virgin birth of Jesus. And all of that stuff was so important. All of that stuff was theologically so important for us to understand. So that was last week. And today, we're going to talk about unexpected joy. When you think about Christmas time, one of the words that you probably have at home in your decorations is the word joy. It's probably, I didn't look, it's probably out there in the lobby, the word joy. Last week, by the way, I think I recommended maybe some more, dec- more words for our decorations because the Bible says when the angel came to Mary, she was confused and disturbed. So I'm, I'm thinking we should do like confused and disturbed. Anybody? Would you buy, women, would you buy that for your decorations? It's in the Christmas story. Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, that's my kind of word. Good. Confused and disturbed. Well, today... Today we're going to talk about joy and how there's some stuff in the story today I think that's going to really jump out at you, might even surprise you as we look at it. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be looking in verses 39 to 55. We're going to go all the way to the end of this this famous song that Mary breaks out and sings. So just to catch us up, the angel appears to Mary, and Mary, Mary finds out she's going to be pregnant with this child. And she's confused and disturbed at first, but we're going to see how, how her reaction evolves through the chapter and through the story. And speaking of reactions, I want to just start with a question. What excites you enough to pull you up off the couch? I want you to really think about that question just for a second as we get into the message today. What excites you enough to pull you up off the couch? One of my favorite things in the world 
One of my favorite things to do is to watch sports with my daughter. My daughter's 22, she's smart, she's beautiful, she's single. (laughs) I'm taking applications after the service today. Don't tell her I said that. But the reason I love love watching sports with with my daughter, she went to the Utes, so she's a big Utes fan, so I remember watching, how many of you watched the game? The Utes against Oregon. That big game, and they did it again. I'm telling you, when I, when, I, when I first saw this question, it was the first thing I thought about. We were sitting there on the couch watching the game, and we, I mean, we're like throwing stuff at the TV in the first quarter of the game, right, when, when Oregon is winning. And then things turned around, and the Utes absolutely stomped Oregon. And we were jumping up and down. We were screaming and yelling. Football excites us enough to pull us off the couch. I love it because my wife and my daughter, they clap. They clap whenever something fun happens in a football game. I just think it's the funniest thing. They just clap at the TV. What excites you enough to pull you up off the couch? I mean, really, ask yourself that question. It's so easy to just sort of sit back metaphorically in our, in our, even in our faith, to sit back and it's just the same old week in and week out, and maybe the same old story. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not a big Christmas person. I've confessed this before, I'm not a big Christmas person. And, and Christmas, even, even preaching in Christmas at Christmas time is hard for me because, here's why, because the message, it's the same message every year. And I'm one of those guys that needs something fresh and new. So for me, it's hard 20-some years into this to look at the story and to say, I want to find something fresh. And I, ha- I confess, I have to sometimes just pray, God, give me fresh eyes to see this because it's the greatest story in the world. God, I pray that this would be exciting to me and that this would pull me off the couch. And I invite you to pray that same prayer even today as we take a look at Mary's story. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 40, it says, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea. This was after Mary found out that she was pregnant with Jesus. She went to the town where Zechariah lived, and she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. Now, if you read this passage, you'll see that Elizabeth is a relative of Mary. That's what it says in Luke. Elizabeth is a relative, maybe a cousin or a second cousin of Mary. So Elizabeth is, if you read earlier in the chapter, Elizabeth is this faithful, godly, woman, and so many godly women in the Bible are barren. So many godly women in the Bible can't have kids, and Elizabeth was one of them. So she and her husband, Zechariah, faithfully served God in the temple, and and you read this early in Luke. I encourage you to read this for yourself, but I'll just fill you in on the story. And and so Zechariah and Elizabeth love, they love God, and they serve God, and and then Zechariah gets visited While he's serving in the temple, he gets visited by an angel, and the angel says, your wife is going to be pregnant. Your wife is going to have a child, and this child is going to be like a forerunner. This child child is going to be the one that's going to sort of pave the way for the Messiah to come into the world. And so so the Luke account of, of of the nativity story actually starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Zechariah did what any of us would do, what probably what any of us men would do. When you hear something that sounds a little bit far-fetched and a little bit out there, Zechariah's like, are you sure you got the right guy? Do you see how old I am? We can't have kids. We've tried, and now we're old. 
And so the angel said, okay, well, fine. Then just to, just to prove to you that God, God keeps his word and God does what he says, he says, you're not gonna be able to talk until the child is born. And so Zechariah is struck mute right there. So Zechariah comes home and, and try, could you imagine trying to explain this to your wife when you can't talk? So they played Pictionary or whatever they had to do to, to, for, Elizabeth to, for Elizabeth to realize what was gonna happen. Elizabeth ends up getting pregnant amazingly getting pregnant, and it was, it was in her sixth month of pregnancy that we, we see that Mary, her, as soon as Mary finds out that she's pregnant, that Mary runs. So, okay, so let's do the math here. So six month, Elizabeth is about six months pregnant when Mary gets pregnant, and by the way, Elizabeth's child is John the Baptist. So John the Baptist and Jesus are related. They're cousins or second cousins or something, and, and they're only six months apart, and Mary runs to share this good news. Now, Mary doesn't know about Elizabeth's good news, probably. Mary's running to Elizabeth in Zechariah's house to share her good news. And my question for you today, I'm just going to have several questions as we go today. In fact, I encourage you to talk about this in the minivan on the way home. Talk about this with your kids, parents. Talk about this with your spouse. Talk about this in small group. Who's in your good news inner circle. Your good news inner circle is who are the first people that you call when you have good news? Who are the first people that you pick up the phone and you say, I got to tell you what's going on. You know, for my, for my wife, it is two people and now three. But for the longest time, it was her mom and her sister. She has one sister. They're just a couple years apart. And, and Tracy and her sister for years, we moved away from Chicagoland 24 years ago, and we've been separated all these years by 1,400 miles. And so Tracy was on the phone in those early days. Tracy was on the phone every day with her mom and, and almost every day with her sister. And I don't know how, I don't know how you do that. I, I, that's not how I am with my brother. I have a twin brother. We're very close. We were roommates. We were roommates. I mean, it fits the sermon, right? We're talking about Elizabeth and Mary. Anyway, we, so, but I, like, like my, my brother Mark is in my good news inner circle. Like, I call him when, like, I made a birdie, like, in golf. Like, that's good news for us. So, like, and my, my wife makes fun of us, but we'll talk, like, every couple of months on the phone. That's how we work. But Tracy, she and her mom and she and her sister, and now our daughter Kenzie, now that she's an adult, now Kenzie's in our good news inner circle and Tracy loves to, to call and share good news with her sister, with her mom, and now with her daughter. How about for you? Who is it that you love to share good news? When, you, when, you've, when something cool has happened for you, like you want to tell somebody, who is that? That's your good news inner circle. For Mary, Elizabeth was in that inner circle. I want you to think about that question because I'm going to give you a challenge at the end of the message today about sharing the good news. Let's go on with the story. This is really cool. Look at this passage in verse 41. It says this. So, so Mary shows up to Elizabeth's house, and at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child, remember, that's John the Baptist. You're going to learn more about John the Baptist in January because we're going to start studying the book of Mark. So you'll learn more, more about John the Baptist later on. But it says that John the Baptist leaped up within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed 
Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? I want to show you three things that maybe you never noticed here. In fact, I'll, I'll confess, I didn't fully notice. I never really fully put these three things together either until I was studying for this sermon today. But I want you to look at three things. First of all, look at what Elizabeth says to Mary. She says, your child is blessed. Now, I want to challenge you later on today to go back and read that passage and see if anywhere in there, Mary tells Elizabeth that she's pregnant because she doesn't. So that means that Elizabeth is actually prophesying this. The Holy Spirit reveals to Elizabeth that Mary is with child. I think that's pretty cool. There's so many miracles in this that, that you may, may have missed. So that's the first thing is she says, your child is blessed. And she didn't even know that there was a child in there. God revealed it to her. Well, here's why. Because it says, let's back up a little bit more. It says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have time to get into exactly what that means, but being filled with the Holy Spirit was, was, is kind of a big deal for the early church. See, here's, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the way, is God himself. God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit has always existed, but God the Holy Spirit worked differently among people in the Old Testament than he did in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a special moment, for a special reason. Like, for example, Samson, when, when he went against a bunch of Philistines, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, and he took with a donkey's jawbone, he killed a thousand Philistines, enemies of Israel, because the Holy Spirit came upon him for that moment. But it was just for a moment. Later on in Samson's life, the Holy Spirit came upon him as he was chained up with the Philistines in their temple and he tore down, the, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he had this like superhuman strength and he tore down the temple and destroyed where he was being held. The Holy Spirit came on David at a couple of special moments in battle. The Holy Spirit came upon the judges on occasion in special moments. So in the Old Testament, if you read, if you do a study on this, the Holy Spirit would come upon people just temporarily. The Holy Spirit would just temporarily come upon them for a special purpose. But see, in the New Testament, here's what the Bible says. When Jesus came and he went to the cross and he died on the cross, and the Bible says that when we become Christians, when we accept Christ into our lives, when we trust Jesus for salvation, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit now comes upon us. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives. So the difference in the Holy Spirit's working post-resurrection and pre-resurrection, or maybe even more broadly speaking, New Testament and Old Testament, the, Holy, the difference in the Holy Spirit's working is the Holy Spirit would come and go in a person's life, but for us today, the Holy Spirit is a constant presence. That's why young people, by the way, if you're doing something that you know is wrong and mom and dad can't see, but you still feel guilty about it, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is moving in you. The Holy Spirit is convicting you because the Bible says the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, Ephesians 1.13, when you become a Christian. So the Holy Spirit is, is God himself in us, moving us from the inside out to be obedient to God's ways because in the Old Testament, they, they, all they had was the outside law. They didn't have this inner force moving them to be obedient, but we do. So there's your little lesson on the Holy Spirit. Now look at this again. It says that Elizabeth 
was filled. When Mary showed up, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the second occurrence in the New Testament, the second occurrence in the New Testament of a person being filled with the Holy Spirit. It was Elizabeth. I think that's really cool. And so probably you're saying, well, what's the first? I mean, this is, this is Luke chapter one. Like, so if you go back and comb through the rest of those verses, where else do you see that the Holy Spirit filled somebody if Elizabeth wasn't the first? Well, you don't have to go back very far. It's, it's right there. It says, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. That John the Baptist, inside Elizabeth, now we could get it, we could spend so much more time, maybe with your families or with your small group or with your mentor, you can talk a little bit about what this means, about the unborn. But here we have an unborn child responding to the presence of Jesus. John the Baptist, inside his mom, John the Baptist leaps when Jesus, who is just just a seed in Mary, when Jesus shows up, it says John the Baptist sleeps. You want to explain that? Just go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Let's go back. And this is what, this is what the angel had promised to Zechariah. He said, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. The first person that we have in the New Testament that's filled with the Holy Spirit is John the Baptist inside his mother. Is that not the coolest thing? That John the, John the Baptist, from before he was born, was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's awesome to think about. The question that I want you to think about when we just kind of zoom out on this whole story is, how did it feel when you first met Jesus? Look, so Mary meets Jesus, really. I mean, she didn't, full, or Elizabeth does. She didn't even fully understand it, but, but Elizabeth meets Jesus, and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, I guess you could say, meets Jesus the first time he's in the presence of Jesus. And he's, he leaps in this mother's womb. He's, I think that probably means he's filled with the Holy Spirit, if you put that together with verse 15. So my question for you is, how did it feel when you first met Jesus? In fact, I want to challenge you to talk with someone about that question this week. Go back, go back in your life and think about when you first met Jesus and, and what kind of response did you have? Instead of sharing my own story, I've shared my own story so many times, I just want to share a couple of other people's stories just for a minute. Just about a month ago, I was standing out here in the lobby and somebody came up to me. It's the first time they'd come to Alpine Church. They'd never come before. They'd been seeking God. They didn't grow up in a Christian church, so they'd never been to a church like this. And I'm telling you, the look on their faces, the joy on their faces, the smile on their faces, they were like, this is awesome. This is what we've been missing. This is what we've been waiting for. And then just a couple of weeks ago at our Leighton campus, I met a, a couple, and just Tracy and I just met with them last week as well. We started mentoring them sharing Jesus with them. They just left their childhood church. It's not a Christian church. They, it's a different faith tradition. They just left it two months ago. They've known for years that it's not true, and they just left it. And they, with, with much fear and trembling, they, they 
I always say they looked in a phone book, but I'm sure they didn't look in a phone book. But whatever the equivalent of it, they Googled it, right? They Googled it. Churches, they had no idea where to go. And by, by the, I think by the, Holy, by, by the movement of the Holy Spirit, they showed up at Alpine Church for the first time about a month ago at our Leighton campus. And as they, as they told the story just this last week to us, they said we walked in there after a lifetime in another church tradition, we walked in there and they said we saw drums and guitars and, and we we're like, this is gonna be weird, right? Because that wasn't church to them. And I said, well, what, did you like it? Did it scare you off? They said the first note that was played, we fell in love with it. And here's what I love about their response. Here's what they said. They said, we just want to know Jesus. We just want to know Jesus. And the joy on their faces and the, 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 the relief on their faces that they're, that they're now with a community of people that are seeking Jesus together, that are pursuing God together. I mean, it was a, it was a powerful moment for Tracy and I as we drove away from their house last week. And we're going to continue to mentor them we're going to continue to bring them through the pursuit, which is an introduction to biblical Christianity. I encourage you to check it out if, if you relate to their story. But we drove away and we just said, this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who's been moving on their hearts and opening their eyes and helping them to see that they're missing Jesus in their lives, that they've gone to a church their whole life, but they're not learning about Jesus, that they're missing Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Just like the work of the Holy Spirit in Elizabeth's life to reveal to her that Mary was with child and it was the Son of God. Just like the work in John the Baptist in vitro in, in his life that he would leap in the womb because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And as soon as the presence of Jesus is there, he recognizes it. In the same way today, 2,000 years later, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to draw us to him. The Holy Spirit's the one who does that work. The Holy Spirit is the one that introduces us to Jesus. And when we meet Jesus, we're filled with joy. Right? When we meet Jesus, we have this, this joy that you, can almost, you can't almost even put it into words. Both of these couples in this last month, I don't think that they could fully put it into words. Maybe in a couple years, they'll be able to do it a little bit better. Pastor Jason was one of those, our youth pastor, 10 years ago, he came out of another faith tradition, and 10 years ago, he did the same thing that these two couples did more recently. And he said to his wife, Lacey, he said, I'm going to check out this church. Don't come with me, because it's weird, you know? So he, and we see this all the time. He shows up to church. He went to the Leighton campus. He showed up to church for the very first time just by himself, just to check it out, which I appreciate, by the way, as a father and as a husband. I get it. I get it. I totally get it. And he showed up, and he heard just but in the course of the sermon, somebody, whoever was preaching that day, said, and I think it was kind of a, a, kind of a besides, it wasn't even the main point of the sermon, he said something like this, Jesus is God. That was it. And it, like, I can't even explain it, except for that it was the Holy Spirit in his life. The Holy Spirit opened Jason's eyes to understand what that meant. He met Jesus that day. And he gets out of the service and he calls his wife right away. He said, Lacey, you'll never believe what I just heard today in the service. She said, what? He said, they said Jesus is God. 
And when Jason recounts that story to me, I just don't, I can't even really understand it because I'm like, well, of course Jesus is God. I don't understand. How is that the thing that opened your eyes? And, and all we can do to explain that is the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to that simple truth that Jesus is God. And when Jason met Jesus, it changed his life. And it changed his wife's life and their kids and so many more people. That's what's happening is we're introducing Jesus to people. And I want to ask you the question, how did you feel? when you first met Jesus. And share that with somebody this week. If you're a parent, share it with your kids. Man, it's so important for us to share that kind of stuff with our kids, to tell them the good news of Jesus and to make it personal. Tell them what it means for us. All right, one more thing we need to look at, and it's Mary's song. So here's what happens famously now. So Elizabeth prophesies about Jesus inside of her. Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women that this, you have this child inside of you. John the Baptist jumps within her womb, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then to cap it all off, Mary sings. She bursts out in song. How many of you burst out in song around the house? Are you that kind of a person? Just, you can be honest, God's what Some of you are. Tracy, my wife, she would raise her hand if she was here, because she, and I love it. I I love it when Tracy bursts out in song in our house. I love it when we're on vacation with the kids and we're driving and we're listening to worship music and we're all just belting out songs in the car. I, lo- I love it when somebody bursts out with a song in joy. And it's cool that we have a recording of that right here in Luke. Mary's song, after she meets Elizabeth and and Elizabeth prophesies about this child and John the Baptist jumps within her, Mary bursts out in this famous song and I wanna read it with you. It says this, Mary responded, oh how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl and that's all she was, 14 or 15 years old. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Now, we don't have time to get into this, but I I want you to just look at what she's doing in this first verse. I'm going to call it the first verse of the song. She's talking about what it did to her. She's talking about what God did for her. It's personal. She's humbled by by being chosen for this incredible task, she didn't even fully understand everything that it would mean, just like we don't. She didn't understand everything that it would mean. But she understood that she was blessed and favored of God like we looked at last week. So the first verse of her song is about how it impacted her. And then the second verse of her song, in verse 50, it says this, he shows mercy from generation to generation for all who fear him. So look, her song is expanding now. Now she's singing about us. This, this part of the song is about us because, because we're, we're a future generation from her perspective. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. 
In essence, this is Mary prophesying about the kinds of things that Jesus would do in his ministry and also the kinds of things that Jesus' teaching would spark in the history of the world for the next 2,000 years. And then in the final stanza or the final verse of her song, she talks about Israel. Verse 54, 55. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. And so now she puts it in the context of the story of the Bible like we did in week one of this series where she realizes that she is actually in the, in the lineage of Jesus, David, all the way back, and so is Joseph, who would be Jesus' stepdad. And she recognizes that this was all prophesied, that this was all part of God's incredible but unexpected plan all along. And I want to... I want to end today's message just with one final question. You know, we all got to, we all got to read Mary's song, but I want, to, I want to ask you this question today. Who's going to hear your song this Christmas Eve? You know, this is one of the, this is one of the weeks of the year that could change somebody's life in your world. It could change a friend. It could change a family member. And the easiest, it's the easiest thing that you could ever do is just simply to invite somebody to come to church with you on Saturday night. It blows me away that our two biggest services of the year are Easter and Christmas. I know it shouldn't blow me away. We call those people, do you know what we call those people? Creasters. We call them Creasters. <laughs> People who come on Christmas and Easter, in fact, I, I've, I've, over the years I've met people who have said to me, and they're, they've come to Alpine now and made Alpine their home, and they say, I was a creaster. They know the word. You know, I was a person who came on Christmas and Easter. That was it. So it was just kind of a tradition for me, and that's great. But many of those people met Jesus on Christmas or Easter. Many of those people actually made it a part of their life. And Jesus changed their life. And your part in that, seriously, your part in that is just simply to be invitational. We've got these really easy to carry invitation cards, Christmas Eve invitation cards. Here's my challenge. I challenged West Haven last week with this, and I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge everybody to take three of these cards home, young people too, young people too, and just invite, pray over them, and invite three people to come to Christmas Eve service this year. Service times are on there, all the information's on. Christmas Eve is one of the easiest services to bring a, a visitor to because we don't, we do like more traditional songs, there's a lot more singing, the sermon is shorter, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna make people super uncomfortable, it'll be a kind of a traditional service, so it's the easiest thing to invite someone to, and most people go somewhere for Christmas Eve. So this is one of the rare times of the year where it's not weird or awkward or inappropriate to invite someone to church, which, by the way, even if it was weird or awkward or inappropriate, you should still do it. But you don't have to feel that way this week, and my challenge to you is to invite someone to Christmas Eve. In fact, I'm gonna pray for that right now. God, I pray for the people who have not yet met Jesus. The Holy Spirit hasn't yet done that work in their hearts that, that you did to Elizabeth and to John the Baptist and to me and to Jason and to so many others. 
And God, I pray today, Lord, for the people who are sitting here that they would be invitational. God, that they would hand out, hand out some cards this week and that, that you would move on people's hearts to bring them here. And God, I pray that this year wouldn't be just the same as other years, but God, I pray that this year, your Holy Spirit would do a work in many hearts, that many people would come to know the joy that comes only from encountering Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name.